Welcome to podcast number 62 on May 4th of 2022. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. I am the author of four investment books. Today, we will first answer five questions that I've received, and then I will begin reading from chapter 11 of my latest book, American High Dividend Handbook. Question number one. Just how safe are North America's safest banks? According to the New York-based respected bankers magazine, Global Finance, the safest banks in North America are the Toronto Dominion Bank, the Royal Bank of Canada, the Bank of Nova Scotia, the Bank of Montreal, and the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. Together, they have total assets of about $5 trillion. This was confirmed by Fitch Solutions and Moody's Ratings. Millions of these five banks' shares are traded daily on both the New York Stock Exchange and also on the Toronto Stock Exchange. A cloud has appeared on the horizon. In the 2022 Canadian federal budget, a surtax of 1.5% on bank profits of over $100 million was proposed along with a one-time 15% charge on income above $1 billion for the 2021 tax year. Canadian banks are already among Canada's largest taxpayers. These five banks accounted for more than $12 billion in tax revenue and more than double that in dividend income. They contribute 3.5% of over $65 billion to the Canada's gross domestic product. Over 280,000 people are employed by them. When the Toronto Dominion Bank's chief executive, Bharat Masarani recently stated that a proposed corporate tax rate increase that targeted financial institutions could lead to unintended consequences. You could see battle lines are being drawn. The pawns in this high-stake battle looming on the horizon are the millions of pensioners, charities, endowments, mutual fund investors, bank shareholders, pension funds, and others dependent on bank dividend payments. I can see the banks were doing their best at every opportunity to frighten their 34 million customers with dire predictions of the harmful personal financial consequences these proposed taxes will cause. The banks have their customers and shareholders' phone numbers, their email addresses, and their street addresses. Every time you deposit or withdraw funds, I would expect them to remind you of how you are being impacted by the proposed taxes. Every bank statement could carry their message that the tax is hurting you more than the banks. They are far better organized and motivated than the civil servants. The stakes are huge. 
the Royal Bank of Canada would likely pay the most, an estimated $334.7 million. The Toronto Dominion Bank would pay about $285.5 million. The Bank of Nova Scotia, approximately $191.9 million. The Bank of Montreal, about $137.9 million. And the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, around $120.2 million. The Canadian federal government is anticipating their pushback. It is stated they will not tolerate sophisticated tax planning or profit sharing by the financial institutions to dilute the new measures. As well, new targeted anti-avoidance rules will be put in place. The Federal Financial Consumer Agency of Canada will be policing any excessive fees passed on to customers to offset the cost of the new corporate tax measures. Canadians tend to take their long-established successful banks for granted. They have no idea that out of the thousands of banks in the world, these banks are in the top 35 of the safest. They dwarf any of the banks that rank ahead of them. In North America, they are the top six safest banks. As commercial banks, these five are in the top 18 of the safest banks. These banks have thousands of branch locations in the United States. Most Americans have no idea when they see a TD bank that it is the Toronto Dominion Bank they are dealing with. What impact will this taxation battle have upon these five banks and 35 other financial service companies? While the proposed tax is still too hypothetical to base investment decisions on, it is a good idea to review their current strengths and weaknesses with the current financial information that is available. To help you with such an evaluation, I created an Excel spreadsheet of 40 important financial industry stocks, including, of course, these six banks. The spreadsheet quickly and easily compares 25 vital facts, such as operating margins, book values, historical share prices, and dividend payouts. To obtain a copy of this spreadsheet for your evaluation, send an email to me at ian.mcdonald at informus.ca and I will email it back to you. A few of the interesting facts you will see in the spreadsheet are 1. Although the Royal Bank of Canada had the highest net income of all the 12 banks, it did not have the highest share price of the banks. The Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, with its higher share price, seems to have the greatest investor appeal. 2. The highest bank share price was the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce's at $151.37 with a dividend yield of 4.25%. The small, young Versa Bank has doubled its share price in the last four years. Its dividend of 0.67 falls far below that of any of the other banks. 
That perhaps explains why less than 10,000 of its shares are being traded daily. However, its operating margin of 45.66 beats all but three of the 12 other banks. Four, the highest dividend bank rate was 4.46% by the Bank of Nova Scotia. With a score of 72, the Bank of Nova Scotia tied with the Royal Bank and the Bank of Montreal. A 72 is the highest IDM scores for all the 40 companies. 5. The bank with the highest earnings per share was the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce at $4.05. This is reflected in its IDM score of 70. The lowest earnings per share for a bank was the HSBC Bank, Hong Kong Shanghai Bank, capital note. It is traded on only the New York Stock Exchange. Many investors who seek a balanced combination of portfolio stability, reliable dividend income, and share price appreciation invest in bank dividend stocks. While such safe investing may be seen as boring by some, dividend companies are often loaded with cash due to their ample operating margins and their strong economic moats. They have no hesitation in returning a portion of their profits to investors via dividends. While dividends are never guaranteed, my research has shown that carefully selected dividend stocks that deliver ever-rising dividend payouts and share price increases will continue to deliver these positive results 90% of the time for years to come. Question number two. Which is most challenging, finding a stock to trade, planning the trade, or executing the trade? Every stock I buy, after careful analysis and scoring, is with the intention that I will own it for the rest of my life. 100% of my portfolio is in financially strong companies paying high dividends. I've lived off my generous dividend income, even during market crashes, for 18 years as I've watched my portfolio grow by 500%. I use stock screeners in my bank investment site to find the financially strong high dividend paying stocks. I then use the IDM stock scoring software to reduce the data on each stock down to a score between 0 and 100. I avoid stock scoring less than 50. It is not much of a challenge to then pick the stocks with the highest scores, paying the highest dividends. There are some industries I avoid, such as commodities. I want companies that can develop customer loyalties. I only consider selling a stock if the score drops below 50, while at the same time, the dividend yield percent drops below 5%. I can go for a year without making a change to my portfolios. Once again, this removes the challenges of managing a portfolio. A challenge implies that investing is a game. To me, there is no game. We're all creatures of habit. A company with 20 
years of ever-increasing share prices and ever-increasing dividend payouts is very unlikely to deviate from their historical pattern. With a diversified portfolio of 20 to 30 stocks in your portfolio, those few who might deviate from the historical successful pattern are hardly noticeable among all the gains. My books are all about investing this way. Question number three. How much do you need to know to make profits in the stock market? You certainly do not need to be a chartered accountant or a trained financial advisor to pick financially strong stocks whose share prices are going to rise steadily and pay ever-increasing dividends over the next 10 or 20 years. The problem is that most investors are not prepared to do the basic, easy research that would be reflected in my IDM stock scoring matrix. All the information to calculate a score is instantly available and free of charge on all publicly traded companies. In a minute or two, you have a score. Then also, checking share prices and dividend payments going back 20 years, you can see the company's established winning character. Dividends are the quickest, easiest way to identify financially strong companies. The dividends are paid out of profits and get paid even during market crashes. Share prices are determined by optimistic and pessimistic speculators bidding against each other. They are impossible to accurately predict. This IDM scoring system is simple to use. It measures the desirability of companies on a scale from 0 to 100. Using it, I avoid stock scoring under 50. The highest score I've ever calculated was a 78, and the lowest was an 8. To make it even easier for someone new to investing to build a strong portfolio of 20 stocks, the 20 establishes a safe dividend diversified portfolio. All the scores for all high dividend stocks have been calculated and reported in the American High Dividend Handbook and the Canadian High Dividend Handbook. In simple language, these books explain the importance of the 11 information items making up the total score. Question number four. If it is true that the higher an investment's potential return, the higher the risk of losing your money, how do you determine your tolerable level of risk? If you reduce investments down to numbers that reflect the strength of the investment, you can then sort all investments from highest to lowest in strength potential. Also, taking into consideration the strength of the investment's previous performance over the last 20 years verifies the strength of your current assessment. People are creatures of habit. Their behavior is unlikely to deviate from their traditional established patterns of behavior. However, 
Since all of life has some uncertainties, you invest in 20 of the strongest investments with the most consistent historical positive patterns. The expectation would then be that 95% of the investments will provide a positive return over time. How much potential each will generate is unimportant. You also do not know in the portfolio which few of these strong prospects may deviate from their norm and provide a negative return. This is almost unimportant since the positive returns from the other 95% make the results of the few deviants almost irrelevant. The IDM score matrix reduces a stock strength to a number between 0 and 100. In addition to the score, you would look at the stock's share prices and dividend payouts over the last 20 years. This historical evaluation can also be reduced to numbers. Having faith in your evaluation process removes the stress of choosing investments. You're not trying to predict which one stock will give the highest return on your investment. The results will be what they will be. However, as a test a year ago, I created a portfolio of the 20 highest IDM scoring dividend stocks traded on the New York Stock Exchange as reported in my book, American High Dividend Handbook. The results after one year were a dividend income of 6.2% of the portfolio's value, plus the portfolio had a capital gain of 12.1%. Over 18 years of investing this way, my portfolio has grown by 500% while at the same time paying me a very generous dividend income. Question number five. What words of wisdom did Warren Buffett share on April 30th at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting? He criticized Wall Street for its creation of a casino culture where investors are encouraged to take risky bets rather than investing. He went on to say, Wall Street makes money catching the crumbs that fall off the table of capitalism. It doesn't make money unless people do things. It is much better for Wall Street financiers to have somebody that's going to trade 20 times a day and get all excited, just like pulling the handle on the slot machine. When asked about speculative nature of cryptocurrencies, he replied that he would not buy all of the Bitcoin in the world for $25. I wouldn't take it because what would I do with it? He responded, I would have to sell it back to you one way or another. It isn't going to do anything. Interestingly, the S&P 500 has fallen by more than 10% since January. However, Berkshire's shares have increased by more than 6%. The compounded annual growth rate since he established Berkshire Hathaway in 1964 is 20.1%. The S&P has only had annual growth of 10.5% for the same time. 
At 91 years of age, Warren Buffett sets an example for all value investors. I am now going to read from pages 453 to 458 of American High Dividend Handbook. If you have got this far in the book, it means you have a real interest in investing. Now, where do you go from here? If you are already a soft-directed investor, this book may have given you some ideas, tips, shortcuts, and insights that you had not previously considered. If you are a full-service investor, I hope it has opened your eyes to the fact that successful self-investing is not the complicated, scary beast that financial advisors want you to believe it is. You should now be able to see how you can successfully manage your own investments and save yourself perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars in portfolio management charges over your lifetime. The readers I am most concerned about are those who have never invested in anything more than a savings account. What was it that made them read this book? What were they looking for? Do they now delay investing and say they will get around to it later when they are older and closer to retirement or maybe when they receive money from an inheritance or win the lottery? The compounding benefits of reinvested dividends speeds up the achieving of financial independence. This goal, once achieved, can enhance a family's life experience, their health, and their self-confidence. The future is uncertain. Counting on future circumstances occurring before you begin to build a strong portfolio may be something you will regret 20 years from now. I thought I had no need to save for my retirement or be involved in investing because I would receive a juicy index pension. That expectation disappeared in a flash when the company got sold. So how does one break out of the bonds of inertia and start investing? To get started, I think you need to set aside a goal of saving an initial investment of $5,000. This reasonable goal should be enough to commit you to building a portfolio. As you patiently save this initial $5,000, you can use all the tools in this book to prepare you for investing. You can identify the 20 stocks that will be your choice for the portfolio you'll be building and managing over many years. Only you can choose the 20. If someone selected your stocks for you, you would never be certain that their 20 were the best. At the first sign of your first recession, you might panic and sell your shares. This would be at the worst possible time. You need to personally confirm that your 20 stocks paid their dividends through all the previous recessions and that their share prices always returned to new record highs after the recession. In your lifetime, you will go through several recessions. It is critical that you, your faith in your stocks 
is based on you personally scoring each stock. Scoring will help you sort the 20 good stocks in order of desirability. Pick the one you think is the best of the 20. This is the one where you invest your first $5,000. One down, 19 to go. Continue to put aside a portion of your monthly income with the small amount of dividend money you will start to receive from that first stock. When you have accumulated the next $5,000, invest it in the second stock on your priority list. You keep doing this until you have purchased your 20 stocks. $5,000 in 20 stocks gives you a significant portfolio of $100,000. This may take you several years, but it gives you a strong base that is bringing you closer and closer to financial independence. With an average dividend yield of about 6%, your $100,000 portfolio is going to be generating $6,000. That is a substantial amount. Your 20 stocks have safely spread your risk. The one or two stocks that maybe temporarily divert from the historical good behavior patterns would have a negligible impact upon your strong portfolio. From periodic scoring of your 20 stocks, you will confirm they are maintaining a score over 50 and still paying a good dividend. As you continue contributing to your 20 stocks, you will find that some will grow in value faster than others. Your objective is to have no more than 5% of your wealth in any one stock. With your additional dividend income, you can buy more shares in those of the 20 whose percentages of your portfolio is now below 5%. Investing this way, you can expect your portfolio to double within five years. Eventually, your monthly dividend income will exceed your monthly living expenses. You have now achieved financial independence. You're free to walk away from your job, if that is what you choose to do, and live off your dividend income knowing your share prices and dividend income will still continue to grow. Looking for a shortcut, one of my readers asked me, why not borrow money at 2 or 3% annual interest rate invested in your portfolio since it is going to grow at 8 to 10% per year? My response was that for the last 100 years, inflation has averaged 3.5%. For most of my life, interest rates were usually more than 6%. In the 70s, interest rates climbed into the high teens. The odds are that you may have to be generating far more than a 9% gain in your portfolio just to remain on the plus side. Interest rates are always for a set period. You do not want to be faced with an unaffordable interest rate. The current low interest rates are an exception. You are building a portfolio to last your lifetime. It is unlikely that interest rates are going to stay at a low as they have been for the last 10 years. Banks rarely lose money. They are quick to adjust their lending rates to make sure they never lose. 
It is important that you are in control of your finances and never have to liquidate your stock portfolio to pay loan obligations. If anything, opportunities may arise where you may be able to make more money by safely collecting interest rather than investing it. Flexibility is important. There are solutions where borrowing money for an investment makes sense. We own a second property in which we have a 2.25% mortgage. The loan covers perhaps 20% of the property's total equity. I'm sure the reason we got a good five-year fixed rate was not only the security of the high equity in the condominium, but the strength of our stock portfolio. It is many times greater than the loan. It made little sense to liquidate investment accounts earning more than 6% just to have the property mortgage-free. Furthermore, the value of that property is growing at a greater rate than 10% a year. If interest rates go up substantially over the next five years, we may pay off the mortgage from our investment portfolios. Over those five years, I expect my investment portfolio to double, which will make paying off the mortgage almost inconsequential. The second property diversifies our wealth. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. Thank you.